Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast of Free Devs and a Maybe with me, Michael Budd. And today, just one other of the uh, devs, Ed Mann. Hello, on the Maybe. I know what you're thinking, your least favorite developer on the podcast, <laughs> but. Uh, so we could get in at short notice. Unfortunately, uh, Lou and Fraser are on a is it a riverboat cruise together? Together, yeah, in France, I think they're going there to Paris. But it's uh, like it's like a riverboat cruise when you you like do painting as well or something. Or well, it's painting for Lewis, and then it's the obviously the bouquets and the uh, you know the flowers yeah, yeah. for Fraser. So yeah, well, I'm sure they're having a great time and uh, they are sorely missed. But I'm looking forward to seeing their work when they get back and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, hopefully they've just had some good quality time together. They they certainly needed it, I think. They've been quite stressful together. It, there has been a few it's arguments. Been a few arguments, that, that a few fights. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. It's not pretty. Um, but yeah, they'll be back hopefully next week. Although I think Lou's quite busy, but uh, he's hoping he'll be back as soon as he can. And Fraser, as far as we're aware, will be back next week. So fear not. So today you've just got me and Ed Mann. So hello. Uh, hello. How has your week been, sir? It's been good, man. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of blog posts being done. Uh, usual work, every you know, as every other week. But um, yeah, I don't think I've seen these. Did you put them on Twitter? Uh, I, I posted them yesterday in the morning, so I don't know whether you check it in the morning, you know. So, and they were so quite what? quite sporadic, you know. Like I was kind of like impulse. You thought, oh, I'm going to do this blog post because I've been thinking about it, and I'm like, just did it. Right. Um, well, so the first one's on Archlit. Well, it was funny because last week I had to reinstall my laptop. And as you know, my laptop's great. It's not a MacBook, you know, as Mickey keeps going on about. It's an <laughs> HP beautiful salmon pink laptop. Uh, and I, instead of going for, down the Windows route, I thought, you know, just do Arch Linux or Linux in general. And But I voted for Arch Linux and I've never gone back really. And this is just my notes I did for Arch Linux and the awesome window manager, which is the, yeah, the actual name of it is called awesome window manager. So it's quite cool. I, I dumped them on there cause I needed them again. I'm thinking, well, if anyone else needs them, so might as well put it online and you know, if it helps anyone else, great. But yeah, so that, that's one of the blog posts. And then the other one is, uh, the wide combinator, not like hacker news, but the actual combinator you can use. Have you heard of wide combinator? Never in my life. So it's quite interesting because it's one of those things where it's good in, I'm going to put in quotes, typed Lambda calculus, which sounds confusing. But really, in what we care about in PHP is this whole idea of recursive closures. So say you've got like the Fibonacci sequence or, you know, I think the other ones, uh, yeah, the factorials and stuff. Yeah. Uh, You normally name a function and you can just recursively call it again. Yeah. But imagine if you couldn't name the function in a sense. So, you know, like you're assigning that because now uh, functions are first class citizens, you can assign them to variables. So inside the actual closure itself, you can't, you don't actually know what the name is. So using a Y combinator kind of has this, it's a very magical thing uh, that allows you to, it allows you to, in a sense, make non-recursive code recursive by passing in the function with it. It's quite cool. Um, Mm. So I, I did that in PHP and I had a little fun with it and stuff. So yeah. That sounds quite cool. How about yourself? Well, before we go on to that, I was just going to ask you about uh, Arch Linux, actually. Because obviously, I know you've had it for quite a while, but uh, and I know you rave about it. But what is it that is so good about it, then? So, you've got your other distributions. Like, have, you, have you played with like, you played with Ubuntu and maybe a Mint, I think? I've played you know, with Ubuntu and Mint. They are the two that I have played with, yeah. You know, they're, they're kind of like the uh, full-stack. And it's quite interesting that we're talking about frameworks. There, you know, Full-stack framework type things where, you know, everything's in built, the batteries are included, and it gives you that kind of a feel of a Windows box or a Mac box when you start up. Yeah. With Arch Linux, you actually build from the uh, from the bottom down. Well, sorry, bottom down, sorry, bottom up. So, you know, you, you start off by installing just the base, you know, installation that you need to get started. And then you install, like, the window manager, which is, you know, you've got, like, GNOME or you've got KF, uh, XCFE or you've got stuff like uh, KDE. But then you've also got Arch. And you can mm. build it up yourself. And it's quite a nice way because especially the, the instructions on their wiki are so good. So you can go through their wiki and stuff. That's why my notes are really quite minimal. And I really just say, emphasize, just go on their wiki because you can find all the stuff you need on there for it. But it, it, it helps you learn Linux 
and kind of, you know, the mm. way, because it is confusing coming into the Linux world from Windows where you've got installers and GUIs and stuff like that and you're just starting to make and compile all these random programs. So it yeah. kind of helps you learn from the from the bottom up, from the kernel up approach. Mm. And I was going to say, there's some very confusing terminology, isn't there? Like the kernel for one, but um, yeah, it's very different. Well, yeah, because you've got window managers, you've got desktop environments. And you, when you're in a Mac and Windows world, you're kind of like, yep, this is what you get. And, you you know, you boot it up and that's it. So it's definitely yeah. a good learning experience. I definitely recommend like playing around with something like Arch Linux, even like a virtual machine or something, just to get a feel for how Linux works from the bottom up. And what, I mean, in terms of like entry level and stuff, you would recommend that to anyone? Or? Um, I'd probably... But, or say so use something that you've gone to first to, to break yourself in? Or? I mean, it's quite interesting because I suppose it's weird for us web developers because we probably dev on a Windows or a Mac box mm. and then we're very much like, well, you know, it's cheaper and it's probably better and it's more widely available to do it, use a Linux box mm. in the actual, you know, when we're deploying. So probably anyone actually, that anyone, any web developer may be quite good to be able to get that feel for what's actually happening you know what what you install to build up this system itself and and the whole like unix philosophy of you know applications do what they need to do and it's quite a modular approach to it and stuff so yeah Mm. i probably recommend any web developer it'd be probably good to have a little go at installing your own from the from the uh bottom up but for you i mean arch linux it's a case of like less is more i guess Oh, i love it i I love it because another thing is it's got this uh rolling release cycle so stuff like ubuntu and um Mint, they have like, you know, and pretty much like Mac and also Windows just have this like, you know, you've got like XP, you've got 7, you've got Vista, lovely, you know, (laughs) with Ubuntu, you've got 12, you've got 13, you've got long-term support releases and stuff. With uh, Arch, they they release ISOs, but they're like literally snapshots of what like programs are at that time. Uh, But it's called a rolling release cycle where you just update it and you update each individual bit as right. it goes so you could have a, a you, you you know you get I, I've, I use an ISO from back in August last year but then you install that but it actually it, it, well you use that as a live CD and then you install the actual downloaded version of the latest components so you always get the latest and greatest from of, of everything right which can be quite scary because you know support and stuff that's what Ubuntu and all these other distributions give you is the support saying yeah we you know we give you these versions and we know they're supported with Ubuntu with um, Arch Linux it's more the latest here's 5.5 of PHP immediately when it's released Mm. instead of let's check it beforehand so yeah Yeah. it's more of a a geeky kind of uh, Linux distribution than a one to you know get yourself dirty with the Linux world I'm just surprised. Obviously, I know what a keen C sharp programmer you are, and I imagine it makes it quite hard uh, running Arch Linux. I love you. Yeah, yeah. C sharp yeah. is a lovely language. Actually, C sharp. No, <laughs> C sharp is a lovely language. It's better than Java. What? But, well, it is. It, it's where they're far more open to new things and stuff. Right. Like with F sharp and stuff, they've added it. You know, like the idea just on there. You know, the beautiful CLR. But you know. Anyway, yeah, and if you completely disagree with what Ed Mans just said, feel free <laughs> to send hate mail to his address. Oh, um, yeah, no, that's cool. That's uh, how about yourself, sir? How's your week been? Uh, I'm just getting everyone must be getting bored of hearing me say this, but yeah, it has been a particularly tiring week because I've got two big assignments in this week. But that's tomorrow, uh, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, after tomorrow, I will be a new man, there'll be a lot of uh, weight off my shoulders. So, um, yeah, just kind of um. One's like a weekly assignment that I get, and uh, one's like an, the other one's a really big one. I get two for the module, and this one's like uh, on genetic algorithm. So um, I kind of got my code to the point where it was working, and kind of like followed all my lecture notes, and then combined that with uh, lots of stuff that I found off the web. And thankfully, there's a lot of great material on there. Um, Stack Overflow in particular is amazing, isn't it? Stack Overflow is brilliant, yeah, and actually found like someone's code i was just able to you know take that and run it it's kind of tackling a different problem and i wasn't looking to copy take his code but just just get an idea of what he's doing yeah absolutely it gives you that kind of idea of what's going on and yeah yeah and exactly and you know i won't go into too much detail because you know we obviously aim this podcast at people who are just starting out but again it's something that sounds a lot more complicated than it it really is in fact really his genetic algorithms are a really inefficient way of getting stuff it's kind of like the uh, kitchen sink approach but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the tutorials I saw online, you've got two ways of doing it, but, but obviously basically you want to start off with like a random selection of things and, and then gradually mutate them and get closer and closer to your actual solution. And 
people were doing it different ways, and obviously some people were working with like whole numbers and stuff. And but the way that I preferred to do it was actually just having like a, a binary representation of a number. So I literally can see all the ones and zeros. So then when I'm making my mutations, I can see really clearly what's going on. So that's you know that's been really cool, and actually you know got that working quite fairly early on. But it's it's just the actual tuning and get the getting the actual fitness um, working to make it, sure you. It's literally like you tweak the input just to see what the output happens. It's like a black box in between almost, isn't it? Exactly, exactly that. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's just get, I, I've got to get that in for tomorrow, and I'm just still tweaking the. Um, the fitness method to say, look, is this closer? Is it worse? All that kind of stuff. So, but once I got that working, it should be um, should be pretty good. And I know we uh, we mentioned it in the podcast last week that JavaScript example with the Mona Lisa picture. But you know, again, if you want to have a look at and um, just kind of dip your, your toe into the water with uh, genetic algorithms, just want to see what they do, check out that link that we put last week with the Mona Lisa because so it will cool. show you. That was yeah, so cool. really really cool. That guy's amazing. I dread to think how he's done that, but. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to have a go myself, actually, after I've finished and uh, try and do that myself. If you go on his home page, he's got a game of, of Super Mario in the background on his website. Wow. Where you can actually play. Yeah, so the guy is pretty much a JavaScript ninja, which is pretty cool as well. I bow before him. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to get back into uh, JavaScript at some point as well and, and really try and um, get really good with it, other than just see. Uh, bog standard kind of JavaScript that I do on a day to day basis. I that guess. is a very good segue, sir, to picks of the week. Oh, I like that. A lot of JavaScript, haven't you? Well, I've, I've had the experience. I had the fun this week of having a bit of fun with JavaScript uh, for like a test thing, and yeah, I mean, I've kind of thought to myself, "Oh, oh, JavaScript, yeah. how to do it?" You know, and I kind of have dealt, you know, jumped in. I, I knew enough JavaScript to play with Node and stuff, but it's when you get under the hood, you know, like kind of working out the internals of it. Yeah, kind of thing, and how prototypical inheritance, which sounds complicated, but really it's a lot simpler. Where you know one thing is a prototype of another thing, so it's just this chain up, very much you know inheritance. What you assume, you know, one you've got your you've got your uh, you know your parent from your child and stuff, yeah. but um, how powerful it is and how how we try and meld kind of our classical approach of inheritance, you know, from languages such as Java and PHP into JavaScript. And because JavaScript is so flexible and so loose in it, you can actually do that. But you also have many other ways of doing it. So I've got a link that I'll put in the show notes called objectplayground.com. And that shows a visual representation along with a, a YouTube video. And yeah. it, it was the best YouTube video. It's produced amazingly and it's like 20 minutes long and it will tell you everything you need to know about how prototype inheritance works, how prototypes work, how JavaScript really works under the hood, really. Like, in, in, not really under the hood, but how it implements, you know, the idea of inheritance and chaining and stuff. And, yeah, um, yeah I really recommend it. You know, it, it shows this, actually, it has a client-side application which generates graphs of, you know, each of the individual, you know, like, here's your prototype, here's the, pro- you know, how this code can, gets converted into these objects. Right. So really, really worthwhile. It's called objectplayground.com, and I definitely recommend that. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. I will check that out. Since I've got a spare five minutes, that sounds uh, pretty awesome. So a couple of years, yeah? Yeah, probably, yeah, to be honest. But I'll get there, definitely. Um, I've also got another actual... Uh, uh, for, well, actually, this thing, April Fool's, of course, was yesterday, 1st of April. It was, yes. Um, and I don't know about you, but I the one that I found the most hilarious wasn't the Google one with Pokemon, but it was, in <laughs> fact, the... There was a thing on Hacker News, uh, the Apache Subversion Project moving over to Git. <laughs> so they were going to move, and a lot of people believed it because it was quite, it was too <laughs> geeky to be, yeah, it was one of these things where, and the person, and very well, they got some call, like core maintainers kind of in on the joke. And yeah, people were quite bad, like flame, yeah, they were quite angry with it, which is quite hilarious. And it turned I out, can imagine, it was just an yeah. yeah, so the Apache Subversion project. So, if anyone don't know, Subversion is a, a version control system similar to like as Git is a version control system. Uh, they're a little different where Subversion centrally uh, uh, version controlled, where Git is distributed, and they kind of compete in a kind of way. Um, and yeah, so obviously a good joke would be Apache Subversion, the actual source code for that version control system moving to Git as their version control system, which are kind of to fight the person. So yeah, so it was quite yeah. a, quite hilarious. I was actually, because I, I even bought into it yesterday. I was like, are you kidding me? 
I was like, is this, <laughs> is this the end of Subversion? You know, and all this. And then yesterday, it turns out it's April Fool's. Well, actually, last night. So I thought that was yeah. quite hilarious. Uh, any of us? Uh, another one, actually, is a geeky one for the for the people who extension building and stuff, where I've been looking into that a bit more. And there's, there's this framework or library, sorry, a library called uh, PHP CPP, yeah. which is, in essence, it's... C++ 11, so they, uh, C, C and C++ have these standards, similar, well, not similar, but they're like feature sets of what, uh, like, like uh, Python has, where this is what the syntax, the language is at this time, and you, you know, you write your compilers and stuff to this, this spec as a syntax, as a language, um, and PHP CPP is, in essence, it makes PHP extension developing a lot easier. And if you go on their website, php-cpp.com, you'll see how easy it is to create like hello world functions etc using stuff like type inference and stuff so it's quite cool to be like i show you in my blog post the um you know this hard way of lots of macros and lots of you know boilerplate code to then be able to um, think about doing a, a blog post on it how you can do it with this library to save you so much time using it in c++ instead oh, okay that's, that's very cool and finally php storm yeah i saw you tweeting all yeah. about this the other day i am um, well, I thought to myself, is it time for me? Well, you know, with Atom coming out, etc., mm. which is just GitHub Sublime Text, if you really want to be honest. Uh, it looks so similar. Yeah. Uh, I thought to myself, shall I look at IDEs in the PHP world? Because I'm, I'm dealing with a big project at the moment, and I'm not going to lie, maybe just a text editor on its own with a couple of bells and whistles with Sublime with plugins and stuff. Maybe, maybe it would be better for me to use an IDE. Because, you, you know, in Java, Scala, and stuff like that, you know, you're accustomed to use these IDEs that help you a lot. Mm. Um, and I looked on JetBrains because I, I, I used their IDE, their idea one, which is for Java. And I was like, oh, they've got PHP Storm. And I've heard quite a, quite good positive things about it. So downloaded that, installed it. There's a 30-day trial. And it's amazing. And it's really hard for me to say, oh, yeah, this is the way you should do it. You know, that kind of religious approach of I hate people with podcast, you know, saying that. But it really is amazing. Um, it will whoa, save whoa, whoa, whoa. you so much whoa. time. Did you just say 30-day free trial? Yes. I you have to pay for it afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, that. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Sinful you know sins. how I feel about this guy. I know. Thing. I know. Paying for stuff. Yeah. It's like thirty quid or something. But I've actually already Outrageous. paid. I've On actually a developer already... salary. Who's going to, be able to afford that? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, actually, actually, it's twenty quid if you've got a uh, education account, a university account. So you're okay. Oh, 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 now yeah, now you're in. Well, it's amazing though because they've literally. I think what they do is they've got the idea of all, they do a lot of IDEs. So they've got one they called one called PyCharm and RubyMine, and they're for Python and Ruby. And then they've got one for Java, and they've got one for iOS, uh, C, uh, Objective C development, and they've got our PHP. Uh, and I think they they kind of go with this idea. So they're ID, you know, they're ID company, but then they have you know each individual department deals with their own thing, and you can really get the sense of, and the feel that these people are PHP developers, and they yeah. know exactly what we want. You know, we want good syntax support in PHP 5.5. They also support stuff like Vagrant out of the box as helping you with GUI Vagrant and SSH remote tools and stuff like good old Composer. They have Composer support out of the box, which is great. I, I love being on the on the terminal, but it is quite nice to have it all in one place, you know. And yeah, I, I really can't knock it at all. And then obviously the debugging tools, because that's one great thing about an IDE is the debugging tools to be able to trace through, mm. you know, and everything like that and walk through programs. And they have X debug and hopefully they'll have the new uh, GDB. Well, so I don't know the name of it technically, but the one that that Joe guy's uh, working on that will be in the next version of PHP. So, yeah, I, I really am quite impressed with it at the moment. So, yeah, at the so, moment I'm... Any uh, tools for PHP unit? They do. Oh, Absolutely, sorry about that. Yeah, they have all the PHP unit. They have it. You come from a Java world of a J unit. All those yeah. tools are available in PHP Storm. Similar, if not exactly mm. the same. Uh, also, they have web website of it because they actually have a web app. They have their own version, their own uh, IDE for the web. But they've actually included a lot of things in the PHP one, obviously because PHP is a web, you know an app, a language for the web. So you have stuff like JavaScript support, handlebar, mustache template support. CSS support, Emmet support, Bootstrap support. I need, you know, Mocha support. Oh, it, it is quite amazing. Um, uh, and then all the live debugging in JavaScript, live editing and stuff as well is supported. Less SAS, start a uh, coffee, coffee script Dart. The list goes on on how many cool things this this pro and for sixty quid, I can't knock it at all. Sixty quid. I thought it was like thirty a minute. No, no, no. It's twenty quid for you. 
you right. know, education. But for us people who have to buy it, you know, who work, so it's sixty cool. pounds. Sixty pounds. I mean, don't get me wrong, for people like Fraser, who's on what is it, eighty five K a year, whatever he's on. I think you, you can know, double that, can't you? And then power well, of two, I think. Yeah, maybe. I I dread to think what he's on these days. Especially but, the uh, flower, well, the flower on the side, you know, his floristry business. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe that's what paid for his Porsche. I don't know. But all I know, he's probably earning quite a lot of money. So maybe for people like him, it's all right. But 60 quid. <laughs> I pay. I want to support it. That's my kind of motto with software is if I love a piece of software like this, like, and I know the people who make it are developers like us. Yeah. I just want to make it easier. You know, yeah. like, I really can't knock them. Um, yeah. So no, I definitely I'll, uh, I'll definitely check that out. Um, yeah, I'm only kidding about the price, really. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll hey, have a look at it. Cheapskate, gosh, unbelievable. <laughs> but to put you on the spot, then, what's better, this or Atom? Oh, they're two different tools. So, and I, I love that. You know, <laughs> That's a political you approach. That. Well, you know, I'm not actually going to answer. I will answer. I will say this is better because obviously for PHP development, this will make things quicker. Uh, yeah, and far more intuitive. But as a text editor, obviously, it's kind of throwing you know the kitchen sink at something that really just needs you know. I don't know, insert something that makes sense there. Uh, you know, <laughs> Atom is cool because it's got pit, it's, it's, because I, I, I do prefer Atom. I think the, the Sublime 3 is coming out soon and you've mm. got Atom and they're kind of competing in the text editor world where they're a, a little bit less, you know, you have to install a lot of plugins like Vim style to build them up and they're always going to stay around and I always will love them. But I think yeah. I'm working with a big project at the moment and, PHP Storm has all these tools with unit testing and stuff, and it will save me having to have a boatload of terminals open, or I use something like Screen or Tmux to, you know, obviously, you know, multi uh, mutex them and stuff. So helping me out with these bigger projects, I definitely prefer this. Okay. Okay. Well, for anyone who is listening to this and they don't know the difference between the IDEs and text editors and all that, we did do a podcast at oh. some point. Oh, uh, episode five. Perfect, sir. So Perfect. there you go. If you want to learn a little bit Checking more about you that. Out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to learn about that, go in there, download that one. It's a brilliant episode. So how was your week? Well, no, we're asked how your week is. How about yeah. picks? Picks, sir. Okay, so I have been a little bit naughty, and because I, I haven't had time to do anything, but I equally want to give something to our listeners. So I did have a little look around just before the podcast. Uh, I want to start off with a quote of the week, if that's Ooh, all right. Go for it. And I'm going to make myself look really stupid because this guy is really famous, and I can never remember how to pronounce his name. Is it Dijkstra? Dijkstra. Dijkstra. Thank you. That's it. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really famous quote, and you've probably heard it a hundred times, but it is, uh, testing shows the presence, not the absence of bugs, which I think is, um, you know, certainly in the concurrency world, it's used quite a lot, but it, that's true to any programming, really, is that you can test stuff over and over again, but you're only really sh- showing that uh, you can only say, well, this error does exist. You, you can't say that other errors don't, don't exist, basically. You're never 100% sure that exactly. something... I think that's a perfect quote. It really yep. is one of those quotes that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Him, him and Donald Knuth, I uh, have man love for them. And obviously Turing. Have you, honestly, well, have you ever been to uh, Bletchley Park? No, I want to. See, I, I want really to do. too. Maybe we need to arrange this because we live in the country where Bletchley Park is and we haven't been there. How have you not been there? And we are into algorithms, we're into computer science... I wonder how famous it is, like, outside of... I I think it's pretty big, actually, because... Yeah, I'd I'd hope so. The inventor at Turing Machines, the inventor of computer science as it is today. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite amazing. So, yeah, I think it's quite a shame on us that we haven't been. So maybe we have to arrange a uh, a little three devs meet up and uh, go to Bletchley Park. Yeah, definitely. We were actually um, talking about the uh, Turing test this week in uh, one of the lectures, actually, which is uh, really interesting, but probably not something to discuss for this podcast, but uh, anyone who's interested in Alan Turing, check out. I just go to Google and, and type in about the Turing test. Uh, it's really interesting um, little test that he had for uh, basically like kind of categorising artificial intelligence, I guess. Oh, but, wow, I've never heard of that. Have you not? No, that's cool. Uh, What's that? Nice. Okay, you want me to go to... All right, well... Oh, uh, go on, the, the listeners will <laughs> like it. Sorry, listeners. Okay, again, so I've read about this a few times, so I'm going to make sure I get it right. But basically, um, obviously, Alan Turing, he was um, massive in the world of uh, like algorithms and obviously did a lot of the um, Enigma coding and yeah, breaking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, deciphering that code, breaking the uh, Enigma code. 
Exactly. So he's like one of the forefathers of artificial intelligence as we see it in the in the modern day. And he basically set up tests really to say, well, A, you know, what is artificial intelligence and, you know, and how how good is it? How, you know, can you deceive someone into thinking? And basically what it is is that he had like a, a one person in one room, another in another room, and there was like a computer in another room basically, and one's just moderating it. And this person's talking, and basically the person had to say whether you know it was a computer or not. Or well, I don't think they told them that, but they were trying to see if they would detect whether it was a computer or not. And I don't think they did. I think they got it to the point where the, wow. you know, the computer was good enough to convince the person it was a human. Um, but that was just one particular test. But the Turing test itself, I think, is more general, and it's um, yeah, basically just about categorising artificial intelligence. He's and, so cool. He did like the Turing machine, isn't it, which shows the limits yeah. of what we can actually programme or kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You, kind of, it just, yeah, absolutely amazing man. And, oh, I mean, you know, I could bang on about it for years, but obviously um, my lecture this week, he said something, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure I agree with him, but basically he would say, you know, like name something that a computer won't be able to do at some point in terms of, like, you know, what intelligent beings can do. And he was saying that he would argue anything. And I'm still not sure about that, to be honest with you. But uh, it's a real. Well, kinda... so you, you believe that we will that computers can do will be able to do. He everything? believes that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm no, not, I, no, I'm no, not convinced. Yeah. And you know, there's some really interesting questions out there. Like, you know, would you trust a computer to diagnose you if you went to a hospital? And I think most people would say no. You know, I, you know, you wouldn't want to. I your, think like, also I, it's generations. I think as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's more. I I have we put our faith in computing quite a lot with GPS. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. You know, we we kind of rely on it so much. I think maybe we do have more of a kind of blase. Yeah, I could believe you, computer, kind of. So maybe yeah. our our children, your you know your kid on the way in August. Yeah, fifth yeah. August, awesome, <laughs> best, best day of the year. Um, no bias, uh, but yeah, maybe they'll you know be more so. And yeah, I could, well. It is a really, really interesting topic, artificial intelligence. And, you know, there's so many things I'd love to talk about, you know, and just little silly things like when you start talking about neural networks and, like, you know, what is pain? Could a computer feel pain? You know, all those kind of things. I think we, discuss need to, now, we, need, but... we definitely need to do kind of like a side episode that yes. if anyone wants to listen to it, we just yeah, yeah. Because I'd love to hear about that. That sounds really cool. Really interesting stuff. But, yeah, we do need to uh, to go there at some point. That would be brilliant. And I can't remember how we got onto that. Oh, yeah, we, you were saying that Dijkstra and uh, Turing were your, your main men in your world. And uh, Donald Knuth. Oh, yeah, Donald Knuth. Mr. Yes. Knuth is pretty damn amazing. Yeah. Uh, what about Brendan Eich? Brendan, so, well, he had a, he had a little uh, interesting week, didn't he? Did he? What did uh, he? Well, he's the creator of JavaScript, isn't he? He is, yeah. Uh, and he's now the CEO of Mozilla. Is he? He is, he is. Hmm. But um, so he's, he's CEO of Mozilla and... It turned out like 2008, he had, uh, I can't remember what the actual thing is, but essentially in California, he put money towards not allowing gay people to get married. Did he? Yeah, he did indeed. I know, I know. And so OkCupid, which is a dating site, actually Mm. block Mozilla Firefox, or they say, please get another you know, browser, which I think... Now, this is making a lot of sense to me now, because I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter. This is all making sense. Okay. Because of that. uh, It all came... I mean, it was in 2008, and it's come up now again, obviously, because he's become, you know, big news. And, yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. What a twat. But, anyway. (laughs) I mean, really, (laughs) I'm sorry. sorry. Obviously, my views are, if you want to get married, you can get married. I don't have... You know, it's none of else's business. As long as it's legal, then, you know... Can I just say to all the 12-year-old children that listen to our podcast, I am really sorry for, for Ed's language. That is appalling. Oh, what did I say? That? We certainly don't support that language on this podcast, but it happened. I know, what did I say? What did I say? I'm not going to repeat it. You said, you said a T-word, a nasty oh, T-word. twat, twat. Yeah. That's not a bad, well, okay. It's not a good word, is it? I'll, I'll right. beep it out. <laughs> we can't afford beeping technology. Um, no, it's cool, it's fine. But yeah, I, we are definitely homosexual friendly on this podcast yeah, I, and I, I didn't I didn't know anything about I know I, I was quite smart because when people but... have I was like why are they blocking Mozilla Firefox because of rubbish browser I'm like there's IE there and then I realised all this backstory and I'm like oh mm, why gonna... is he doing this what is he doing the numpty yeah yeah anyway I, well we discuss everything in this podcast we, don't we? 
Programming. Every, every, objects. every issue, every issue in the world today. <laughs> so anyway, I was going to go to my uh, hot picks, which I picked randomly before the show. So I've got one which was uh, to do with adaptive backgrounds, which looked pretty cool. I think you could basically, uh, in HTML, specify a, an image, and then the JavaScript basically does the rest. And when you resize your window, you've now got a nice responsive background image. That's quite cool. It's very that cool. It's very cool, actually, yeah. But like I say, I'm really sorry. I, I literally did just find this before the podcast. It might be absolutely useless, but we will put it in the show notes, and then if anyone says it's it's good or bad, that would be really good. I was going to come with an anonymous name saying rubbish or something. Just to... Really awful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another one that I found, which I did test before the podcast, just to check it was reliable, uh, was this uh, Colour Thief oh, what's uh, that? site. Uh, basically, it's uh, I put the link in there, but basically, it's a site, and you can basically drag and drop an image in there, and then just click on the image, and it will bring out like the dominant colours in yes. the Yes, oh, I like that. The palette, I like that. I think yeah. I've heard of things like this before. I can hear uh, Justin Delucia going, "Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of people actually care about this stuff." And that's a uh, see. This is the sad thing with me. I'm thinking, "Oh, wow, they use that with Canvas and JavaScript." And I just yeah. want to see the implementation, not the actual oh, yeah. result. I'm just like, uh, this looks cool. And yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there must be a nice algorithm there, you would think, wouldn't you? But I can't imagine that Justin's ever listened to another podcast since being on, to be honest with you. So uncool. Very, very uncool. So they're, yeah, they're my, uh, they're my hot picks of the week. Obviously, I've been using them for months and months, and I, <laughs> they are brilliant. So, uh, yeah, we'll put them in the show notes, and everyone, anyone just try it and thinks they're really good, let us know. Uh, how about you? Have we discussed your hot picks? We have. Well, you are off target. It's it's early in the afternoon as well. Well, early. It's about four-ish. And... I literally woke up about two hours ago dribbling on my keyboard because oh, I'm so tired. No. I just completely like blanked out. And well, It's uh, not like you've got to, after this podcast, go and do two assignments, is it? So Exactly. Uh, and the thing is, it's only going to get easier because obviously I've got a baby on the way. I, you know, it's, it's going to get a lot easier, I'm sure. How could it possibly oh, not? Oh, dear. Oh. <laughs> this is the pity party for Mickey, I think. Pity party, Mickey. Yeah, if you want to send me money... <laughs> I've got a PayPal account and a Stripe account. Yeah, oh, or just a copy of PHP Storm. That'd be fine. Uh, no, it's all cool. So, have we... Is that our, our I, think we, I think we've hit every now and then. Yeah, I think we've hit all those, those spots. Politics. We didn't do religion, but... We'll we didn't do religion, but we'll leave that one. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I you've got that algorithm that sorted that out, right? Yeah, well... We went there. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's, so our, what's our topic of the week this week? If I'm glad sense. you asked, Ed. Yeah. Asked. Thank you. Our main topic for this week is, is... frameworks. Yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, frameworks. In particular, web frameworks. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we are going to discuss what they are, uh, why you need them. Yep. Why you even care about them. Why you even care about them. And can they make your life easier? Yep. Can they make your life harder? Very good points. Yep. So, um, yeah, you've been very kind to put some notes together. So, define we... define kind as in sad. I, was like, <laughs> I spent an hour and I just like, oh, this is quite cool. I just enjoy looking up this stuff. It's quite fun. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, so, I guess we'll uh, we'll start from the, the top, as any good list should work. I guess. Yes. Uh, um, so, I suppose the real question is so. I'm sure, as everyone has said, even if you only created a couple of websites from scratch, and mm. I mean from scratch, there's chances are you've 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 had to solve some of the same problems over and over again. Yeah, and that is a pain. It violates that gospel "don't repeat yourself" ethos. You know that dry principle of yeah, you're just going over it again. Maybe you do do some copy and pasting, which still copy and paste isn't really "don't repeat yourself." Well, actually, if from different projects, you know, there's a better way of doing it. Or yeah. So, so typically what you do then is you're like, well, you find a library, you know, to make things easier. You're like, oh, there's an image manipulation library or something like that, you know, and that helps development, you know, so you don't want to go through having to write your own, you know, like, well, your own code for, you know, maybe resizing, cropping thumbnails and stuff like that. And you find this image manipulation library and maybe you use Composer if you're cool, you know, dependency management and stuff, or maybe just copy and paste the file in. Yeah. Um, and that's the first type, the sign of, you know, a library is the first sign of the dry principle, you know, is that you've got this self-contained API that you use over and over again, and it solves that problem, and you can put it into many domains and many projects, and it will be useful in each one of them. Yeah. 
And then what happens though is you soon find out that you may need more. And that is when frameworks come into play. Yeah. Um, we all get that at different times, I think. You know, I'm, I was quite late to the party on frameworks, actually. I think my mindset's more like, oh, I want to know what's going on and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very hard to be like, look back and say, okay, I trust this framework to do this. But typically a framework, it's, it's larger, obviously, and it normally encompasses many different, uh, many different libraries that all work together. Mm. Uh, the thing that gets me, a lot of people is because the overall program's flow of control is not dictated by you now, but by the yeah. framework. So the URL mapping, maybe you've got an inversion of control container. Uh, they decide how that all works and how that all the, the actual life cycle works. And but there is the, the nice thing about frameworks is they a good framework provides like allows you to extend it uh, by like selective overrides or hooks into the frameworks uh, execution lifecycle, such as like events and stuff like in code igniter in particular, you know, you're able to extend classes, etc., and expand on them without changing the actual internal code. And that's another thing with a framework, also a library is that yeah. really you shouldn't modify the code. You should just extend yes. it. I completely agree with you on this point. I, one of the things I was going to say, actually, and I'm glad you put this in the notes is that to me, like, the, one of the main things, I haven't worked with too many frameworks, don't get me wrong, but I, for me, one of the most important things would be that the the ease to extend it, yeah. the accessibility of the framework. And um, I know this isn't uh, you know, popular for you, but certainly like the first framework I used was, was CodeIgniter. And, um, oh, same with me. That, I, I can't knock yeah. it. I, I really can't. I, I act like I knock it now, but no, I can't knock it. It is a very good yeah. framework, and it really does help you learn. But I remember just dropping things in that libraries folder and they were there all then ready to use. Like, it was just really nice. I think like, I had like a PayPal class I put in the libraries folder and it was just there. And you could you know, load really it like, up. You could use oh. their loader. Auto, you know, not auto-loading, but their loader class and yet you'll be able to, to interact yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, but I remember, I think the first day I ever met you or the first day we worked together, I think you said to me, the first thing was like, oh, have you used CodeIgniter? And it was something that I'd been reading about for, for weeks and weeks and they had that like cool slogan didn't they something like ignite your code or something yeah, like that's that it. ignite your code yep and to me being a complete noob at the time uh when i met you and everything like i didn't know what a framework was and i was kind of expecting when i downloaded code analysis to be like this like gooey type thing that kind of just helped you in that way and at first i couldn't get my head around the idea that this this framework was just all code based that's quite but, cool. That's a good. That's a very interesting thing, yeah. Because like IDE support, kind of assistive, that GUI assistive yeah. approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, Honestly, you know, it was really naive at the time, but um, and I'm glad it, it wasn't like that. But at the time, that's what I was expecting, and getting into it was really weird for me. But obviously, yeah, the first time I met you, you were using it, and you could see like how powerful it was straight away and out of the box. But um, yeah, sorry to interrupt you there. No, no, that. it's fine, man. Um, well, they're interesting because there are many different types of frameworks, aren't there? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're talking about web frameworks today, but also I can't, you know, stress like there's other frameworks in other software de development domains, like application frameworks, like GUI apps, like Swing in Java. Yeah, CSS frameworks have now become huge. Bootstrap, Foundation, and your friend Gumby. All these, yes. all these, all these are frameworks in the sense that they they give an ethos and a way of development to help you. Yeah, and of course, our friend Web Application Frameworks is what we're going to talk about today. In particular, absolutely, one hundred percent. So, so as I mean, the web is still quite. I mean, development computers are quite you know young still, really. But web development in particular is like nineteen ninety one. I want to say, yeah, yeah. So it's somewhere you know early nineties, really early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. I was going to say eighty nine rings a bell, but yeah, yeah, definitely. It was a good, was a good year to be born. It was a good year to be born. Uh, 5th of August definitely is a good year a good month as well uh, so as web development has matured and like we found efficient patterns such as MVC which we touched on a couple of episodes ago and libraries have been created and frameworks uh, aim to alleviate the need to re-implement this functionality again and again that's that's their goal Yeah. and you've got different types of frameworks because it's quite interesting to say so you've got your general purpose framework such as Laravel and Ruby on Rails which was very influential at its time in 2004 uh, and they're very similar to stuff like general purpose languages like Java, Python, which are used in many problem domains. So you've got your specific languages that are domain specific DSLs that tackle a certain problem. And then you've got these languages that are like PHP that can be used over and used in different things. You know, you don't only have to use PHP for the web. It can be used for the command line. It can be used for GUI applications as well. So, yep. you know, that kind of thing is general purpose. But then you have the 
Also, it's quite a bit quite a shock to you that content management systems such as Joomla and WordPress are frameworks. Yes. Because they provide you with the ability to create extensions and plugins and provide you with the foundation to work on to build these things quicker, easier, and more module and more te- you know, testable and more understandable to people coming into the actual on that project. Note then, on that idea, I mean, did you know WordPress, so they give you, um, it's a nice documentation for like, uh, for example, maybe like an active record class, that type of thing. So it's, I've only had experience personally in Joomla. Yeah. Um, and actually it was interesting, the last podcast I listened to on the PHP Town Hall was about Joomla and licensing. Um, right. And they are they they abstracted out of their Joomla similar to how Ellis Labs did with uh, Codeigniter their framework, right? And there's a lot of licensing issues, and I'm sure you just I'll put that in the show notes. You can go and listen to that one for that. Mm. Uh, but so yeah, th- there is a framework to it. And I remember when I was building components in, uh, a, a component in Joomla for a for a client. Uh, you know, you had the ability to use their active record, their ORM, in a sense, object relational map, and we'll talk about that a bit later, an active record in, in itself as well. So they provide you with like the routing, they provide you with the dispatch, event dispatching and stuff like that. So there are things that they provide you as a developer which you can then use and build on top of and extend, similar to how a general purpose framework does, but obviously in a content management system, you're going to be still using their CMS. But in Joomla's case with the framework, They've actually yeah. they've actually taken it out like coding lighters to so make it into a general purpose framework as well. Right, that is really cool. I didn't realise that. That is very cool. Um. So, <laughs> so since so, so since most of our web applications are non-trivial, mm. uh, we do require a number of different kinds of abstraction. So abstractions are make our lives easier, like object-oriented programming. You know the idea of visualizing a user as this object or this type of thing that we can then make instances of makes it a lot easier, abstracts that kind of complexity away. Yeah. Uh, and we have abstractions like our data layer, our presentation layers, and many frameworks attempt to provide a complete solution. And these are co- these you'll, you'll typically know these as full stack frameworks. And they attempt to supply components for each layer in the stack. So full stack frameworks are like Laravel, are like Ruby on Rails, are like Zend, are like Symfony, uh, not the component side, but the actual Symphony combined in itself. Uh, things like Codeigniter as well, uh, Django, uh, and all these other frameworks. You know, like G Rails, which is Groovy as one and stuff. These are all full stack frameworks. Which provide you with a lot of a lot of things out of the box, batteries included. Approach like Python say. You know, mm. you get everything you need. Okay, Django's the Python one, right? Django's Python one, which is quite confusing. Now, obviously, Django Unchained came out, and now you Google Django, <laughs> and you get the first hit is Quentin Tarantino's movie, which is a great movie, but it's kind of confusing now. I don't know where... I would love to know if Quentin Tarantino actually knows that there was a framework called Django. Maybe it was like a marketing ploy, so he it's knew like, get... He knew. He knew the Python community. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're, they're big at the moment. <laughs> Clever. Like it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's quite... I, I like the last question, like... How, so, I mean, ha- have you dealt, full stack frameworks obviously are at the mm. moment, so how many full, but how many frameworks have you actually used in your t- time as a developer? Are we talking about like at two o'clock in the morning after a night out or <laughs> just in general? Uh, uh, kind of, I suppose, actually, ones you've touched on and then also ones you've actually used in depth. Okay, so uh, in depth would be Codeigniter. I've probably used that for a couple of years. Uh, I've not used it for a little while, but... Um, yeah, I started off with that, and uh, I, you know, I think I've said this in many podcasts, but you know, to start with, just couldn't get my head around. Not I, I, actually, I'm saying I couldn't get my head around Coding Nighter. I couldn't get my head around MVC. See, that, that is another. That's a very good point you make there because mm. being full stack, obviously, it provides everything out of the box. Yeah. So yeah, things that you think are, oh my god, how am I going to get this big beast? And you can actually compartmentalize and say that's MVC, that's a library. Yeah. Thinking of it in that way, less scary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for me, obviously, again, one of my main uh, stumbling blocks was it with that was a lack of understanding on OO um, or object oriented uh, object oriented programming. For anyone who's uh, not heard of it before, but um, Oop. Yeah. <laughs> Oop. I hate that. Oop. Uh, I should just say at this point, we do have episodes on uh, on object oriented programming, which is episode nine, and we do have one on MVC, which is episode twelve. So Fire, check them out. Firing if- on. Yeah, yeah. For anyone who's just joining in and doesn't know about these things, but um, 
Yeah, they, they were my main stumbling blocks was Lathrun setting on, on OOP and uh, MVC, which aren't really framework-specific. I mean, I'm guessing that you know, there's other ways of doing um, frameworks, but they were the, my, my main stumbling blocks. But yeah, I, then I got into it, and I just fell in love with how how quickly you could do stuff. Yeah. Uh, I know. Don't get me wrong. Like quality is better than uh, you know how quick. No, it's well, bit, but. speed. I mean, you balance it out by how hmm. manageable is the code after you've you know you've written it for someone else. Yeah. And how easy is it for you to get back into it yourself? You know, if you've made this beautiful framework but no one knows it, is it better than a framework that may be less efficient, effective, but everyone knows it? You know, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I would go with the framework that's heavily documented, but maybe not as good as the framework that only I know because I wrote it and I have no documentation. Yeah. Um, other ones, I guess, yeah. Laravel, I used for about six months uh, when I was working with you. We and, used, we uh, used Laravel 3, didn't we? I yeah. I remember, yeah. Which I, I think is quite different from Laravel and its, its it, current condition. The API, the API is very similar, so the, the mm. conversion is quite easy. But yeah, the, under the hood, they've done some really cool things. Yeah, and I think I did play with the latest version that that, that night where we went out and I came back, <laughs> I came back home and like I need to go for a Laravel forward tutorial. <laughs> and I actually found that easier to um, to use than the previous version. I have to say, I was really surprised how easy it was to to get up and running. Yeah, because you've got the composer um, package install kind of thing, haven't you? Now yeah. where they download the skeleton and stuff. It was a lot better. Like the the walkthrough on the installation was a lot better. I thought, and yeah, I thought it was really good. And and if I was Doing a lot of um, building sites from scratch, I would be using Laravel now without a doubt. Uh, I, I do think it's really good. Um, and then other than that, I think the only other framework I've played with was um, on the JavaScript side of things was Angular. And um, again, I, I loved that. thought it was brilliant. But I don't do enough JavaScript development to use it to all use the it. time. Well, uh, I mean, I suppose you could also say jQuery framework. I guess you could. I, yeah. It's really weird because it's it kind of toes the line between being a library and a framework. I was going to say, I think of it as being more of a library. But you but extend it. You're with right. Your own, and then I'm like, well, hang True. on, you're then using their components to extend. I always then think, hang on, that's a framework style thing. So it, yeah. the loose terminology, I think, is another thing, kind of, you know. Yeah. And you, we're going to go into the micro frameworks and stuff later on, which is a whole other ball game. But I mm. suppose the next thing we should probably talk about is what, what do you expect to come in the framework? You know, I mean, we've talked about MVC, you know, we've talked about, you know, this idea of this big old package that's going to control what you do. I mean, what's, what, what do you get out of the box? What's batteries are included? Well, actually, before we do that, we, we should flip that question to you. What, what frameworks have you used? Oh, okay. Uh, so from like a, a sense, I mean, Laravel, I've used probably the most now. Yeah. I've used that for about a year and a half uh, exclusively for quite a bit with a, one of the projects I'm on. Yeah. Um, I've used Django for a couple of months just for fun on my own yeah. projects. Uh, I've used Ruby on Rails a couple of months for my own projects. I've yeah. used uh, Zend for a couple of months for my university dissertation. Right. Uh, Codenighter, obviously, a lot. That was my first framework that I got into. And that's funny because, you know, a lot, I think a lot of PHP developers, that was their yeah. first framework. And it was quite hard yeah. to let go of it in a sense, you know, uh, yeah. because of, you know, you've got a tie to it, I suppose. But. I'm always buying the thing, well, you know, there's something new and shiny. Don't become attached to something. Become attached to ideas and concepts instead of actual just code in itself, I feel, yeah, if that makes I, sense yeah. at all. Uh, and then, like, stuff like jQuery. Obviously, I've done Backbone stuff. Um, what other yeah. frameworks have I done? PHP. Ye? Yeah, I have not used Ye. I have not used Ye, unfortunately. Uh, I dabbled in Cake PHP before I started Code uh, Nighter. But what was it, was, like? it was very Ruby-like, and I, right. I, it's really weird because Code Nights for me. Um, one of my friends was doing it at the time. I think that's another thing. It's more like who your friend, you know, yeah, you know, kind of thing. Who's using it? And the way that it was very simple for me. I think that's again, it made sense. Kind yeah. of the OO because at that time I was at university and I was learning Java OO, and this idea was like, oh, I can do this in the PHP world. Because I'd built my own frame, well, my own framework, I'd say framework in quotes, where I was just using static classes and just mm. procedural code for stuff like I mean, I, I was built, I, I was able to build, I mean, I remember my first e-commerce platform uh, was when I was back at college, and I built it, and it was like a, I, I was able to implement a DVD service thing for, a, for an essay, well, not essay, but, you know, like an assignment thing, so that was quite cool, and that was just all done procedurally, so moving from that towards a framework, again, I was like, whoa, I'm using all this code that I don't know about. 
But then I respected it. I was like, well, these people know what they're talking about. And it also allowed me to learn because similar to Laravel, I've learned so many things from Laravel by just reading the source code, yeah. um, which can be quite hard at some times. But it makes you learn new things and, you know, it puts you in a right mindset, a way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, it, I was going to say, the other thing I think is really good, and I, I don't know about the others, to be fair, but Laravel, I mean, the amount of times you see Taylor tweeting about stuff he's bringing into it and stuff, I mean, that's the exciting thing about Laravel is it, it, it is still alive and kicking. Fair, and, I, I mean, there are, I, I can't, you know, knock any other of the PHP frameworks because mm. Yee, Yee's getting a boost up with Composer, I think. Um, Symfony right. components are underneath that. Uh, you know, Laravel uses all these Symfony components yeah. and all these, you know, open source components. Um yeah. Cake, I think, is also you know, is now composerified. If we're going to put it in quotes, so there's a lot of yeah. good frameworks, and you can build your own. I mean, as as Lou's doing, you know, and that's great because it allows mm. you to learn these things and everything. And I think frameworks just help you become a better developer by understanding them, by yeah. learning how people make code, and by using them. And yeah, and I guess it's good practice to learn about like where to put your files. That's it, structure. Yep, the uh, the best practices on that front because it's very hard. If you're on your own, you've got free reign to do anything you like. If you've got these restrictions, it helps you. You you do start, I mean, at first you're like, oh, I don't like these restrictions. You know, I like doing it this way. But you start to learn, hang on a minute, their way kind of makes sense. Yeah, and, it, and it's yeah. not just this one person's vision. It's it's this whole you know as a web industry and a web development you know industry as as a whole, we've kind of learned. Oh, this is the best way to do it and stuff like that. Even in languages, you know, MVC yeah. is you know globally found to be a good way to do web development. I guess if nothing else, something good to look at would be the um, the SPL autoload register. Oh, there, yeah. Now that's an interesting one with composer. Yeah, because. That's kind of changed our our world in in Codeigniter, and I think because we've got, I think yeah. next week we're going to have an episode on Codeigniter, aren't we? In yeah, in, in yeah. full, so we can talk about how they do auto. Oh, well, they do in quotes loading, not auto loading, yep. really. Uh, they yeah. go by this approach where you know it's just load everything beforehand, kind of include kind of yeah. approach. But then that's yeah, because yeah. that's what you had at that time. It, yeah, because you know, that that framework again, I, I you know I can't stress enough. You know, for its time, it's amazing, and it's five point two. Uh, yeah, five point two. That's before SPL. You know the standard php libraries came out and stuff so you know that at that time it was doing an amazing thing absolutely 100 percent um so yeah so the typical things that you're going to get and anyone i miss mate just please fire (laughs) in you're going to get you're going to get session management and cookies uh cookie management abstractions dealing with your sessions dealing with cookies but you're going to deal with agnostic you know a very high level way where you're able just to write to things you're going to get alternative storage solutions maybe the sessions are managed by a database or file you know you'll be able to put these in and out and stuff uh you're going to get your authentication and security problem most you're definitely going to get your security done but authentication optional you know stuff like your cross-type request forgery maybe you know all forms like i know remember in code igniter you're able to say every form that i generate with the form open class which we'll talk about later on you know will come with a token specific token that we talked about the last last week i think it was we did yeah and um that was uh, episode 18 wasn't it no 17 oh get it right uh, it was seventeen. Seventeen. It was seventeen. Seventeen. 17. Boom. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. You need to say every form has to do it, and because obviously you're going through the framework's way of handling things, it will handle it for you. Uh, you have stuff like input sanitization, filtering. You know, like validation classes are typical. You know, stuff like you know the form request. I want to make sure that the email address is required. Make sure it's actually been entered, and also it's an email address, or maybe it's valid to a certain you know validation. Uh, you know, example, you know, like a filter optional class that you have included yourself. Um, Database access is huge. Obviously, with our web applications, databases are pretty much part and parcel with it. So access and mapping, Mm. stuff like object relational mappers, which we'll talk about later on um, in another podcast. I keep saying later on. You know, just putting (laughs) up. I always feel that. I I listen back. I'm really sorry. I I, I listen back and I'm like, yeah, we know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Object relational mappers, which allow you to map uh, kind of Give it an abstraction. So the database is very much columns and rows where we deal with objects in the other yeah. world. And this way it kind of maps between the two. So you can deal with it in object form and the database obviously stores it in the form that it wants. Uh, and then, of course, you've got your active record pattern. Uh, command line tools such as scaffolding for CRUD applications. So the big thing in 2004 with Ruby on Rails was the fact that there was a video that went out, which was a 15 minutes, 15 minutes to create a blog. 
And the way it dealt with that was by doing scaffolding with CRUD applications. So CRUD is create, read, update, and delete applications. So it's very commonplace, uh, commonplace actions that we use do in everyday applications. Posts, users, roles, everything, they all need CRUD actions. Um, and that was kind of a big thing about it. And all it was doing really was doing scaffolding. So it was creating you... Uh, you know the default, the basic, the things that you may need for prototyping. Uh, that's what Yi does, right? Yep, Yi does that as well. They're yeah. um, they're add-ons, bolt-ons to stuff like Laravel and uh, mm. Code to do it as well. And it was a big thing that uh, back in yeah Rails day, you know Rails for early on was this. Oh my god, I can create a blog in fifteen minutes instead of writing mm. my own code. Yeah, uh, and obviously, and there's another one in Django. I'm oh, sorry about bringing Python up, but great for prototyping oh. is the admin creation. So it actually creates an admin area for you. I've just been sick um, <laughs> with the CRUD stuff. You know, Python developers are going to hate you, even though I know, I'm sure do. you don't mind it as a language. I'm sure it's, you'll look at it and you'll be fine. It's like 15 out of them outside my house right now with like pitchforks <laughs> and stuff. Um, um, sorry, man. Can I just make a yeah. really random segue? Go for it. Um, just, just talking about databases and stuff, just made me think of something I, I did look at this week just very, very quickly uh, with my good friend Nick McDowell, and that was uh, graph databases. Oh, Neo4G. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or Jay, I mean. Jay? Yeah, Jay. Surreal, but looks really interesting and looked a lot easier. Not easier, hang on. Uh, more more natural way of looking at database structure. than It's, it, it's the main specific. It's like it works really well for stuff like Facebook and Twitter because it... I suppose yeah. the audience. So, I think maybe yeah, you've got relational databases, yeah, which you know you can solve a lot of problems with these relational databases. You know, like you have users, and there's it's almost like I think Excel kind of thing. You know, where yeah. you know you've got your rows and columns, but then you have this idea of uh, different types. You've got your NoSQL movement, where you've got these graph databases where you have your nodes or your yeah. vertexes, and then you have your edges, and literally these are just links to other ones. And you know, say like. Um, I'll be an edge. I oh, know. So I'll be a nose or a vertex. You know, and then Mickey will be a vertex, and yeah. on Twitter, and we have a relationship together because you know I'm I'm um, a bi relationship. You know, I'm you know I follow him, he follows me, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely something. Well, well I think. I yes. Think, Sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, 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 no. But definitely something we definitely need to go into because databases. I love databases. I. <laughs> funny story yeah. a random tangent my first job after going to university i went for a database job oh. um and i got i went in for the interview and i was a bit smug and a little bit like oh well yeah i could do databases <laughs> uh, and then fortunately they hired me for a programmer role because then i soon realized um the databases is hard databases really are hard. amazing database administrators are awesome um they don't get the respect they deserve database because mm. we are so we're so program minded we're like oh, i'll just loop through it you know and you know, yeah. our, you know, and, and like you think, well, you really need to get it fast. You know, we can't just and dealing with stuff in SQL and handling that and the power you can do by that. You know, in there, do it in one SQL query when we just get a script the size of God knows what to make something happen is yeah, definitely yeah. very well, very. Like you say, that's a it's a lot of material for another week, but uh, there is like a PHP API, a Java API. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes, and it just for now, just uh, go and check out the website. There's a video on the on the landing page. Just check out the video. It's, uh, it's very cool. It's a topic that I really want to talk about because I love databases now. I hate databases. But <laughs> this made a lot more sense to me. It seemed more natural, more oh. human. Uh, well, the amount yeah. of big data we've got now, and that's another buzzword is, yeah. But anyway, yeah. so but yeah. actually that moves on to the good thing with database scaffolding and migration. So you've got your scaffolding yes. for CRUD apps, but migrations, the idea that you version control your database. So yeah. Laravel does this, and also uh, Ruby does this, Ruby on Rails. So when I say Ruby and Ruby on Rails, people get really angry, because, yeah, Ruby's the language, but obviously Rails is the predominant thing that made Ruby famous, but then it kind of works both in, you know, the, the fact that Ruby's a lovely language in itself. So uh, random yeah. tangent there. But anyway, so migrations <laughs> allow you to version control, in a sense, your, your database schemas. By yeah. saying, you know, when I'm, at this, when I'm at this point, I want my database to look like this, and stuff like that, which is, and that's good for me a framework to be able to do uh then you get into your url mapping and routing and that's you definitely want that all frameworks even micro frameworks have this the idea mapping routing part url paths to functions or lambda you know express you know functions that you want to be able to return results from yeah yeah uh, and there's many different ways of doing that as we will discuss i'm sure in coding nitro and laravel there's very you know explicit ways and implicit ways to do that by controller names or by actually declaring that this part pattern makes it go to this closure or this controller or this function mm. um, then you have templating 
Uh, Templating is yeah. a huge one because that's like languages such as Blade, which is in Laravel, and Twig, which is a uh, PHP agnostic, you know, to all the mm. and then forms and stuff like that, form helpers. Yeah. And these help, uh, you know, nullify. And we talked about this last week and the week before in episode 16, it must have been, I think, the first one of them cross type scripting attacks. So these will help, you know, you deal with those type of problems mm. by providing you with these, you know, these tools and these, this framework in its essence to, you know, produce good, safe code. Uh, then you get stuff like caching. Uh, caching is very important. Uh, caching is uh, caching's a very simple concept that people kind of, I think sometimes they get scared of, but really all it is is the idea that I don't want to run something, you know, I don't want to run something twice. You know, I don't want to run something each time. I can cache it maybe for five minutes. Like Google caches their results. So every time you do a Google uh, search, you're not actually probably, Google isn't probably hitting you with like, oh, I better go search for that, you know, uniquely. It's probably already cached it because someone else has already searched for the same thing or mm. certain partial bits of it have already been, you know, searched for. Um, language frameworks can deal with this, like produce templates, partial templates, and also database queries can be cached for a time to live TTL. Uh, or you know, for for a long time, to kill the cache. Yeah, I think that again, that would be a really good topic for a podcast. Actually, is caching because it's yeah. not an area that I've really. We've well, got with. so many different. You've got file caching, memory caching, data. Yeah, yeah. so that'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, logging and errors. So logging uh, frame uh, platforms in frameworks are yeah. huge. CodeNight had it, has it. Um, you know, Laravel has it. Zend has it. Symphony. You know, ways to display errors, ways to log errors, in a, in a nice way. Yeah. Uh, then you have, uh, so the last two I, I, I've written down is hooks into the execution lifecycle and extensibility. So that extendable, you know, I think a framework should be extendable. Yeah. I think even if you're a full stack framework, you should have the ability to extend it because, you know, you're not out of the box batteries included going to be able to give what everyone wants. Yeah. Yeah. And finally is the emphasis, and this is quite a new one, emphasis on unit testing and best, uh, best practices definitely is for everyone, but the emphasis on unit testing. Yeah. Um, 100%. You know, the ability to provide a framework and a ethos and a design that allows you to easily test what you've built on top of it. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, for anyone who is quite new into um, any sort of development, really, uh, for anyone who's been doing it for years will, will know this, but logging can be really, really helpful, especially if you've got something that's happening on a, on a live website and you don't know why it's happening or... And, your options are limited, really, because it's a it's a live site. But logging can be a really, really good way of finding out what's going on. So you might have something that's happening for one person and not another person. But if you can log some details, you can often get to the bottom of the problem just by a bit of investigation, really. But, yeah, any help with that that uh, a uh, framework gives you is really invaluable, I guess. Completely agree. Logging saves my life. Saved yeah. my life at least a couple of times. Uh because, yes. yeah, as you say, you've got these edge cases where someone hits it and you're like, well, at least I now have a full stack trace of what's gone on and email. Yeah. And actually, I've got a blog post this week that I'm preparing at the moment for handling PHP errors and logging. So Ooh, very nice. It'd be quite cool. Uh, kind of yeah. like a, a really simple monologue kind of thing. Yeah. That, yeah. And just make sure you don't save your log file to the root of your website. Yes, and that was a security thing. Yes, people's card details or something like that. Ah, yeah, that would definitely not be what you want to do. Probably no. don't even log the card details. Just as I say last yeah. week, you know, the information you don't have is the information they can't steal. Yes. Um, oh, I like that. Very nice. I don't remember you saying it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, and then finally, I've got is micro frameworks which is this big buzzword from full stack frameworks where, hey, we're simpler, you know, and, and they kind of go by simpler motto in quotes and stuff like Slim and Silex, uh, which uses uh, symphony components. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard to find a definitive description of what a micro framework is to compared to a full stack because everyone has their own mm. opinion. And uh, again, Python world, uh, the best description I have found is on Flask, which is in the Python world. And actually, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll actually just read out these two paragraphs because I think they best just replace Python and Flask with any other framework and any other language. I'm going to allow this one You'll time. allow this. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. So what does micro mean? Uh, micro does not mean that your whole app, uh, web application has to fit into a single Python, and you know, anything you want there, insert language file, <laughs> although it certainly can. Nor does it mean that Flask is lacking in functionality. The micro in micro framework means Flask aims to keep the core simple but the extendable. Flask won't make many decisions for you, such as what database to use. Those decisions that, uh, um, that it does make, such as what templating language to use, are easy to change. Everything else is up to you. 
so that Flask can be everything you need and nothing you don't. By default, Flask does not include a database abstraction layer, form validation, or anything else where different libraries already exist that can handle that. Instead, Flask supports extensions to add such functionality into the application as if it was implemented in Flask itself. Numerous extensions provide database integration, form validation, upload handling, various open authentication technologies, and more. Flask may be micro, but it's ready for production use of a variety of, of needs. And I think that's the best way of ex explaining micro frameworks, where you know a full stack framework provides you everything and the kitchen sink. You know, it provides you with code night, it provides you with format, you know, all these things. And libraries are out there that specifically are you know good at what they do. And micro frameworks have this idea of I'm just going to put them together. You know, I'm going to have my ethos on how I handle stuff, but I'm going to say oh, I'm going to use these. And I think Laravel, Laravel is a weird one because Laravel actually started off very micro in a sense that it just bundles these composer pack, these uh, symphony packages composed together, but it's added a lot more on top, especially like Eloquent and stuff. But frameworks like Slim and Silex and then Flask in the Python world, and they've all definitely with their routing, the way they root stuff. And also with uh, the, the demos you'll get in Laravel is very much uh, influenced by Sinatra in the Ruby world again. So Ruby has been a very influential language for the web. I tuned out at Python. Sorry, <laughs> I just I heard that. I fell asleep, oh, sorry. I hate you. No, that, that was a good description. I liked it. It's good. Uh, we have gone over the hour mark, man. We have. And, and I, I, that's my notes right now. I mean, really. Perfect I, timing. It is good timing, yeah. It's like we rehearse this. Uh, three times back three, to back. Time, three times a night um cool so anything that you wanted to uh say to nicely wrap up this podcast um only use the, frameworks uh, well yeah i mean yeah i guess i guess one thing we've not discussed well i think we've mentioned it in other podcasts but how big a site does it need to be that's that's it that's a very good question actually um because you know if it's a simple brochure site but i'd say all it, the way what a nice thing a framework does if you if you pick a framework and you stick with it and it's got a good community behind it is you get the back end of the community for help and stuff you also get if someone wants to come in now cvs and stuff you know people will say i'm a laravel developer or i'm a coding night developer they'll, they'll get this confused by you know like i'm a jquery developer but really you're not you're actually a javascript developer who mm. knows jquery's framework or library um, so you get this confusion, but it's good to know people you'll be able to employ or you'll be able to get someone in who knows about that framework and you'll be able to get them, you know, with the good documentation, with that support, you know, hit the ground running. You know what? I think I've used uh, a framework for like a landing page of a contact form before. Just because and you've got all, well, you've got all the things, haven't you? Well, you've got, you've got yeah. the routing, you've got the whole thing of email, mail maybe supported inside. Actually, yeah, normally is. And you've got the sanitization, the input validation, the database exactly. classes, everything's all done for you. And people say, well, it's overkill. But I mean, come on, a framework, something like Code Knight is probably what, like four or five megabytes or something? I think it's, like, I think it's 2.5 or something. Is it? Which, I, which is nothing compared to what this day and age, Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They have their own, but yeah, so I completely agree there. So I, I you know, I'm not going to get into an argument about, uh, you know, the performance hit or anything like that. It's just, it'd be laughable, really. So yeah, in my mind, there's nothing that's too small to justify a framework, really. So that's pretty quite controversial, I don't think. I agree, I agree. So controversy to both of us. <laughs> oh dear, well that's me done, awesome. man. That's me yeah. done. Well, thanks so much. You did a great job as always. So uh, yeah, I think And you that... too, sir. And you too. Oh, thank you, I am pleased. But yeah, next week, like you say, we were gonna we're gonna look at Cody Niter, and that's not the saying we think it's the, the best or the worst or or whatever. It's just we think it's a good one to start off with, uh, a nice entry level one to look at. And then, uh, you know, you can make your intention. We'll look at other frameworks as well in the future, but uh, we're just going to start off with Code Knight because it's one that we've, we've all used amongst all the free devs and the maybe group. Uh, so, yeah, join us for that. And, uh, and thanks for listening, guys. We'll yeah, see you next you. week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com. Or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.